Thank you for joining us on Out of Line this week. We're going to be talking all about car dealers, the retailers in the business, and that's why joining us today we have Steve Wade, the chairman of the National Automotive Dealers Association, which represents all the retailers in the United States. Steve, great to have you on Auto Line. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. And joining me on our journalist panel this morning are Jeff Bennett with the Wall Street Journal and Steve Finley with Ward's Auto Dealer. Great having the both of you here, too. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks very much. Steve, let's talk about automotive dealers. Uh, and what I'm trying to get is a sense of how do you all see what's going on in the retail market these days? My impression is the automotive industry is one of the few really bright spots in the American economy right now. How do you and your members see it? Well, I think from a standpoint of fixed operation, parts and service has been one of the leading factors in the country as far as moving forward. It seems like we are are going in the right direction. There's, there's all the reasons that make us think we're starting to get there. First of this year, we started off with a bang. I mean, we, as you know, we were at 17 million units in 2008, dropped down to 10 million units, which just took everyone's backwards. And we've learned to do business in ways we never thought possible. I mean, we've changed the way with our inventories. In many cases, unfortunately, we had to lose people, cut back. But we've, we've learned to, to work with those numbers, and we've found that we can make a living, and we are seeing strides moving in the right direction. It depends on, too, the part of the country you're in. As I, as I travel the country, there's some areas that don't seem to believe we've had a recession, and others, where, where I live in southern Utah, I'm very tied to the Las Vegas market. It's extremely difficult. But we are moving in the right direction, and there's hope out there. And, but it just isn't as fast as we'd like it to be. But we are going, we are going where we should be going. Steve, looking back at uh, General Motors and Chrysler making massive cuts of their dealership network, uh, NADA represented really both sides, the remaining dealers and then also the dealers that stood to lose their franchises and in many cases did. Are we better off because of that? Uh, is the consumer better off? because of fewer dealerships and our dealers better off because of fewer dealerships. Boy, that's that, you know, that's a deep, that, that opens up a, a vast uh, divide there. Uh, maybe in some areas, I mean, there'll be people who argue we're better off. If you're one of those dealers that was left behind, you're certainly not better off. What, what took place and transpired should have never happened in this country, in my opinion. Now, Why not? Well, well, for a man to have a a business that's viable and moving forward and in many cases was making money and you're told one day your business is worth X and tomorrow after they take your franchise away it has no value at all or your facility that you had was worth X number of millions of dollars and now it's worth half its value because it's single purpose because your franchise was just taken from you. Those kinds of things should not have happened. Now in back to the consumer in some areas where there are fewer dealers, maybe it is for the, for the uh, benefit. I'm struggling with the benefits personally. I didn't lose anything. In fact, I was awarded a franchise that was taken from someone. But that, that's a, that has a lot of challenges tied to it. I know that General Motors will tell you that they tried to do the right thing. Chrysler was in a position where it wouldn't survive. You know, the, the uh, government had determined to save General Motors. They determined to let Chrysler go. And if Marchione hadn't stepped up, we would not have a Chrysler today. So now for those that were left, there's some good things. And uh, in some areas where they divide the pie and it's a little different, there's some benefit. 
but uh, it's just never been clear to me how cutting your sales outlets helps sales and it you could argue that it certainly doesn't help consumers who have to go farther for service and for cars and also drives up the transactional if, if, price. If you're, in, if you're in a rural area where it was taken and you've got to drive a distance for General Motors to say, we'll just remove that because it'll help the system and it'll help the other dealer, I think they're going to lose business because of it. But, you know, for the OEMs, there's no question it, it's helped them. And they were in the process of trying to reduce their dealer account anyway because in many markets, they had too many dealers. And but so they put the, those dealers in themselves. That was the thing. I, I understand. You know, that was they, the threat they they'd always in. lay on you is if you don't perform, we're going to put another dealer in. So they put those people <laughs> they, in they and then put those dealers away. in, but most those <laughs> dealers, the yeah. <laughs> but most those dealers went in decades ago before yeah. we saw the big onslaught from yeah. the importers, which grew the number of dealers in the country. So if you could reverse the clock 30 years, 40 years, absolutely that dealer count made sense, but things changed. I agree with you, the way in which they went about doing it may even have been illegal. But nonetheless, uh, I think that the car companies and the dealers who made the cut would tell you it's, it's better for business. Well, it's a difficult time in the era of our industry, and I'm glad that we're through that and moving on, and I'd like to put that behind us. But it was very, very challenging. As we went through it, representing the dealers that were left behind and the ones that were going forward, it was extremely, extremely difficult, mm -hmm. difficult for us. I'll bet. Because we want to represent everyone. And, uh, excuse and that, me. I, well, and that's my question, too. I'm wondering, do you find that you really saw that moment as a wake-up call for the dealers? I mean, we still hear mixed, you know, uh, beliefs that if the dealers have really changed since that recession have gotten back into customer service much more than they have been now. Do you feel that that was kind of a watershed moment and that the, the new car dealers in the U.S. are kind of, you know, kind of refocused themselves? And Well, I think any time you have a calamity or a challenge, if you want to exist, you refocus yourself. There's some of that. As far as I don't know that we're any more customer-oriented than we were. We've had to shift a lot of our emphasis to the fixed operation. It's, it, you know, people, because of the economy, people have been sitting on their purchases. Great example, I got a phone call about three or four days ago from a little lady that said, in our market, they're one of the leading restaurant owners in our town, called me, she said, Stephen, and she said, I need to talk to you. She said, I've got four cars. And she said, we've held, I don't, first of all, she said, I don't know anything about automobiles. That was her caveat. She said, but I have four cars and we've held on and held on and we just can't hold on any longer. Two of them, I've got to make a change and I don't know what to do. And that's what's happening all over because of the economy and the challenges that are out there. We talked earlier about when I was in Europe listening to the comments about Greece. After three days of that, I called home to say, is everything okay? And so with all the calamity that's going on, the tsunamis and the storms and the economy in our own country, people are holding on. And so our fixed operations have been one of the things that's kept us going. Now, hopefully, as we come out of this, this country gets its footing and we move continually in the right direction, hopefully we'll get something happening the way we'd like in the front end of these dealerships. But what we're do doing it through... What do you think would be a good sales year, uh, unit-wise? Well, after 10 million, 13 sounds pretty good <laughs> yeah. right now. I mean, we're, we're running towards 13 million units. And when, when I was at 10, when you were at 17, 13 didn't sound good at all. Right now, get me there. <laughs> but I, and I think that we're... But that's where we are. We've learned to operate in ways we never deemed possible. And we're moving through that.
and we're moving in the right direction, which is the good news. And, uh, but and the industry can make money at 13. They can. Okay. In fact, it was the, as, well, as I attended meetings at the White House with the bankruptcies, their goal, the task force goal was that we would be able to operate at a 10 million run. And that's why they were trying to lower the number of dealerships. And as you know, they wanted to lower them a lot lower than the numbers we ended up with. Chrysler was presented to us after meeting from, coming from the White House. The first number they gave was 1,250 dealers they were going to take. It took 789. GM's number was they wanted to be, lose somewhere between, as I recall, 32, 3,300 dealers. They were first going to try to do that through attrition when we first met with them, uh, when we met with, with uh, Chairman Wagner. But after coming to the White House, they wanted to just do that quickly. And they, I think one of the numbers they came up with something like 2,500 or 2,200, and they took far, far fewer than that, a lot less than that. So, um, well, you get a room full of dealers, and everybody would agree back then. You know, there there need to be fewer dealers, and then okay, who wants to turn their franchise? Yeah. And nobody raises their hand. So, mm -hmm. you know, in, in a way, it, it needed a spark point, I but suppose. It because does, but it, it's, was, well, it should have been done differently, not just taken away. I mean, they should have found ways through attrition. Compensate them somehow. That's right. I mean, this that's was right. government confiscation. And, and in all fairness to GM, they tried. They had a system, and they tried, and they made it. There was, they had a formula, and they tried to do that. Where Chrysler, there was no money, and they just shut the door, basically, and they gave you very little. They bought your parts and a few things. But there's horror stories out there that, that took place. Steve, one of the things that's always amazed me about this, this automotive industry is that none of the car executives I've ever met in my life, with one exception, Lee Iacocca, ever came up on the sales side of the business. Most of these executives have never sold a car in their lives. And yet they're constantly telling dealers how to run their business. In fact, I understand that you're doing a study right now trying to evaluate the effectiveness of all these factory programs telling the dealers how to run their business, especially on the amount of money that you spend on your stores to make them look nicer. What, what can you tell us about that? Well, when I, I travel, as I travel the country speaking to the dealers of this country, as I open it up for question and answers, Q&A, I'll tell you the first question that comes out of the chute is, what about image programs? There's requirements across this country for dealers to re-image their facilities. And depends on what brand it is. And the challenges are with all brands. But it seems like one company has to have this color and this color of tile and a certain design. And the next one has to have a different color. The one can't, it must be blue. The floor must be blue. And the other one, it must be gray. And some points, it's, it's not gray enough. Or, or, you know what, I don't care for the size of the tile. And it has to have this, this demographic. Well, we're trying to put rhyme or reason to all that. And it should be based around the return on investment. So we're trying to find something that makes sense, that has, if you spend X number of dollars, it will bring about this kind of return. We're talking about a return for the, the OEMs, the factories, and for the dealers themselves. It needs to work for everybody. So we're, we've, we've hired a group, uh, a man named Glenn Mercer, who used to be with the McKenzie Group. We've asked him to do a hands-on, independent, Arms Lake independent study, where he'll go about and visit with the, the OEMs, he'll visit with the factories, he'll visit with the dealers, he'll visit with the customers, he'll go to a restaurant change like uh, uh, some of the high-end, low-end, talk about what they've done, the results they've had, 
uh, maybe a Ritz-Carlton and uh, or a Marriott. He'll go to the uh, restaurant industries, talk about those. Anything that's people that have done these kinds of things where they are working with a customer. And we're trying to end up with something that's meaningful, that makes sense for all, all involved, so that you can say that if you'll do this and spend this kind of money, here's the kind of return you should receive. Or if, you, uh, if you'll follow through this way, it'll bring about this kind of customer retention or CSI, customer satisfaction. Those are the things these things should be based on. And the pressure is so great here, it's causing people to drive some out of the industry because they won't go further into debt. And you know, from a practical standpoint, General Motors and Chrysler have been forgiven their debt. The dealers of this country are still finding a way to bring themselves out of this. Yeah, you're talking multi-millions of dollars oh, yeah. on these programs. Yeah. And you, you, know, you certainly don't want your dealers uh, having places that look like dumps, right? But no excuse the, for the, that. The, no. the trend seems to be in terms of consumers is more and more online shopping research. I was at a conference just last week where they were talking about how close we're getting to the complete online experience of buying a car, or almost complete. So you could argue that if so much is being done online and then you just go to the dealership to wrap up business, mm -hmm. to finish the transaction, why do you need the Taj Mahal to attract customers who are online? I've heard so many times, uh, well, you can't have a McDonald's franchise unless you have the Golden Arches. And they're equating to that. It was like when they but went to... you don't to buy hamburgers online. That's right. You don't. You don't. <laughs> I got a, a, an interesting uh, email a couple days ago from a good dealer who's going through the image program. And he could maybe spend maybe a million dollars, in some of these cases, large sums of money, two, three million dollars, just to put the banding and the colors they want. And uh, he said, I, interesting enough, I was getting a letter thinking this is what they're requiring me to do, and it was my report. And I'm at 200% effective here, I'm at 187% effective here, I'm effective, he went down through all the, it was a General Motors, all the General Motors lines. And he says, my facility is beautiful. He said, it's just not the colors they want, the things they want. It seems to me they should be rewarding me for being at better than 100%, yeah. instead of saying for me to be what I need to be, I've got to spend this kind of money. And he says, now, well, if I spend that kind of money, will I do better than 100%? Will I be, instead of 187% effective, will I be 190? Those are the questions that we have. And his attitude was, well, maybe they should be rewarding me for being effective and not for the blue tile or the gray tile or the green walls. I would agree that, you, you know, arguing over how blue is blue or how no. gray is gray or the size of the tile is stupid. But I think, too, some dealers do need a push. I'll give you one example yeah. right now, Lincoln. Lincoln's trying to reinvent itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. its, its retail network is a, is a weakness right now. And if you're going to truly compete against the Mercedes, the BMWs, the Audis, the Lexuses yeah. that have spent the big bucks, and you go there and it's a Taj Mahal, it is. But, you know, if I'm buying a premium product, yeah. I don't want to go to, you know, someplace that I wouldn't even call it a dump. It's mm -hmm. just not to their standards. And don't you think a number of retailers do need the push to make that change. No one should be selling automobiles out of a service station, so to speak, a, you know, a retired service station. Or a, someone said, shouldn't sell them out of a toilet, you know, excuse that expression. But certainly there needs to be standards out there. But forgive the reference, I've just built a new store that's just now four years old. It's bright and shiny and beautiful, and I could 
with the, them coming in to do what they want me to do with changing some banding and possibly uh, we think that it could be a million dollars, a million dollars. And I have to say now, while I sell one more, my store's four years old. <laughs> will I sell one more car for that million dollars? Will I? I asked the what, factory. What, probably I, not. I asked the fellow from the factory sitting right across from me, you think I'll sell one more car? And he said, no. So, Steve, what is really the belief? Like the McDonald's example, McDonald's mm-hmm. believes you put the restaurant, you make them all the same so it gives the customer the same feeling. Like You make the Lincolns all the same, you make Chrysler's all the same. Do mm-hmm. most of the dealers think you should just have kind of a facade that's the same and then allow the dealer to go and do what he wants locally? Or where, well, where do you think the, you kind know, of the mix is? That's why we're having this study. I'm hoping this study is meaningful. Everybody, I'd like to be able to use this study to go to the dealer that's challenged with this and say, now, wait a minute. Here's what the study shows. Climb aboard. I'd love to be able to go to the factory and say, now, wait a minute. Look at this study. Get aboard. That's what we're trying to accomplish here. I, I don't have all the answers for this. I just know that I don't know that one size fits all. And I'm told, I'm told that Ritz-Carlton used to have a program where all the Ritz-Carlton's looked alike, and now they try to make it around the demographics yeah. of that area. I've got a dealership in Park City, Utah. A friend of mine has a gorgeous Chevrolet dealership that's tied with the ski theme and, and the mountain theme, and it's a beautiful store. He's going to have to damn near tear that thing down and rebuild it to put their blue stuff all around it. And Lucabon, I don't know that Lucabon looks real good on logs. <laughs> so those are the kinds of things we're trying to do. I know the dealership you're talking yeah. about. That's true. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned the premium brands, John. And yeah, they do have to uh, sort of represent the cars that they're selling. But you could argue, does a Chevrolet dealership have to do that as well to bring in a, millen- a millennial uh, buyer who's looking at a entry-level Sonic? You know, again, you don't want your, your dealership in tatters, but at, at what point does it not make sense uh, f- for building a place like that when you have a customer that's really not interested in that, that might actually look at it as being too opulent and think, man, I'm paying for that door now by, by the pr- transactional price of the vehicle. So it's a real touchy issue. It's an interesting one, too. And it's uh, the uh, other irony, or maybe it's not an irony, but it's the manufacturers insisting that the dealers spend the money. You know, yeah. it's like you spend your money on, yeah. on this program. And well, don't they seems, help you in that? Don't well, they provide financing on, in the life? It depends on, well, <laughs> they, yes, it, they, all have, they all have a program, <laughs> you know, it, with uh, some of the imports. It's we'll give you more product. But now I'm, I'm in GM took away some of our discount and then gave it back to us a different way and mm-hmm. said we're helping pay for it. Well, it came from our original discount. But again, it's so wide. This, this thing is not simple. One of the dealers that called me again, and I'm telling you, I'm flooded with these calls. And one of them said to me, I've just asked them if I'm going to spend a million or two million dollars, I don't know what the number was, are they going to supply me some product because I don't have enough product now? Are you going to give me enough product to help Give me an ROI. That's what we say this should be involved with, is giving a return on your investment for them and for us. And he said, are you going to guarantee me some more product? And they said no. So now we're, you can see the dilemma he's in. Do I spend this money? I mean, it's difficult for me now. A lot of dealers are just, just getting their hands around this thing. They've cut back and pulled back. Now, granted, there are some that are doing very well. It depends on where you live and maybe how much money you had in your balance sheet to begin with 
it's a difficult, it's a difficult situation, and we're trying to gather rhyme or reason here that's beneficial and makes sense for all, and that's hopefully what we'll get from this study. Can I ask you something on a, on a sort of related topic? I mean, we talked about the Generation Y, and they basically do not like visiting a dealership unless mm -hmm. they have to, and sometimes you have to for the final uh, transactional uh, reasons, and then also test drive the car. How has consumer car buying changed? Certainly the internet has affected it. Have you seen sea changes in, in the way people are buying cars these days? Not the sea changes I expected. I mean, I, I thought, God, I'm not even going to need these buildings at one time. I mean, they're just going to call online and we're going to have people on the phones in a phone bank. However, I find that people, when they come through and come into the dealership, they're prepared. They have done their study. They know you better know your answers correctly because they know their they know the answers and they've done their shopping online but there's still that want to touch and feel and sit in the vehicle and drive the vehicle we still play a an integral role there in delivery of that car does that make them better, better customers by coming in armed with sheaths yeah, of information does. i think it does make it makes them informed customers but what I've heard from dealers, too, is that they've done all the research online, so you, the retailer, is no longer selling the car, selling the sizzle, as it were. You're just arguing over prices, what a lot of them tell me. No, not, we, and we try not to argue. We try to make that as pleasant, Negotiate. as pleasant as possible. Right. But what I'm getting down to is dealerships, the, the feedback I'm getting is that you're no longer doing the sales, you know, selling the people on the dream, on the promise of the car. It's all about price. Is, is that what it's devolved into well, now because of the internet? Price and payment and, and needs, you know. We provide a service for people, too. Um, there's a lot of talk about helping you know, with our finance and financing the cars and helping. I, I've looked at that in depth. We provide a great service there for people. I mean, I have, I don't know how many sources to pull from for financing, maybe 20 different sources. and it, Average person goes to their local bank and they give them a number or their credit union and they tell them they'll finance them or they won't. We'll try to take that number and we'll, and we'll try to better it. We'll, we'll try to find ways that meet their needs. And I think, I like to think that we provide a service. When somebody comes in and they may be enamored with something, we look at what they've got, what they're driving, what their needs are, and we try to, I try to see that our people take them in the direction that will make them a customer for life. I'm in a small community, and, and how we work with our people, how we take care of them, if I can't do it appropriately so that I have them for second and third, that's where the opportunity comes for us hmm. and comes for my children. So we are all about trying to do it the right way. Now, that's, that sounds wonderful, but that's what we're really trying to do. The end result, if they're happy and it's win-win, then I've got a chance to have them come to my store for their work and their service and so on. And, and then what's the first place you're going to think of if you're having a challenge? You know, I take my watch in to get it repaired. I hate that because I don't, I don't want to be without it. I mean, I'm used. I need my watch. I don't want to be without it. I don't want to spend the money. It's no different for someone that brings their automobile in. It's challenging. I'm wondering along the lines, too, of the consumers. You know, at least here in Detroit, we still have the, the dealers are closed Sunday, and I know that's always been a kind of a... I love that. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> but I'm wondering, is, you know, are, are those kind of... Is that sacred cow finally being uh, addressed in some way? Do you feel that, uh, you know, as people are changing, more, more the dealers are now beginning to change their hours a little bit more? Because I hear from people, too, that, you know, my dealer is open 9 to 5. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm at work from 9 to 5 most yeah. days. And maybe... No, now that, the, now that I think is changing. 
you know, and been on places that try to stay open 24 hours, some, and extended hours, and we're open on Saturday now. But we fought hard, and maybe it's the state I live in in Utah, but we fought hard to keep Sundays closed. Mm. And at the same time, I'm thinking about the people that work for me and their families. And, uh, but, and I want professional people working for me. I want, I want educated, professional, well-trained people. And, but you know that guy liked to be, on a Saturday, he'd like to be at a soccer game with these kids. So I'm trying to make that work so that he's, this one's got a Saturday off and that one has a Saturday off. Yeah, but, the dilemma is that the customer on Saturday wants to be buying a car so rather than on a okay. weekday when he's supposed to be but at work. But then again, I have someone else covered. I'm yeah. saying, I'm trying to find a medium right. there. But in, for us, we like to stay closed on Sunday if we can. So okay. Can I ask you an that's NADA? That's a personal choice. An NADA question. Um, the uh, very ambitious uh, fuel economy standards, uh, 54 mm-hmm. five, uh, by uh, 2025, uh, Seems to be a done deal or an agreement, anyways, in in Washington. Yet NADA is fighting that. Uh, why are you guys okay, opposed? You know, to that? And, and we're getting down to the end of time. Okay, so quick. I'll try to be as quick as I can here. A quick time. I bet I've had I bet I've had a hundred emails chastising me for fighting that. We're not fighting it. I mean, it sounds wonderful to me. I'd rather it was eighty miles to the gallon, to be honest with you, or a hundred. Doesn't that sound better? <laughs> and sixty or fifty-four point five rings good. But is it doable? I mean, is it practical? What I'm worried about is what the cost that it takes to do that. It raises the price. I can't afford to take more people out of the market. What I'm worried about is creating maybe a jalopy effect, we've tagged it, where I can't afford to trade because of the cost. So now I'm going to keep my old car and stay with what I've got, which is just opposite of what we want by getting those products off the road. You've heard the little Sun Chips bag story. Have you, any of you heard that? I mean, no, brought, we're going to have to post that one online great. because well, I'm so afraid up, we're out of time. Have them look at <laughs> Sun Chips bags where they brought out a biodegradable bag and people stopped. They, they, they stopped buying, stopped buying that, That's right. I don't want people to stop buying our products. That's all I'm worried about. And I'd like it to be 100 miles a gallon. I hope we get there as quick as we can. Thanks so much. Steve Wade from the National Automotive Dealers Association. Great having you here. Jeff Bennett, Steve Finley, great having you guys here, and thanks to all of you for having tuned in.